While watching an interesting television news documentary about China's manufacturing industry, I was surprised to learn how many fine products they make there. Unfortunately, a lot of them are fake knockoffs, imitations of the real thing. They make phony copies of the best of everything, including wristwatches, purses, golf clubs, luggage, DVDs, clothing, and just about every internationally known successful brand name product. And the knockoffs they produce sell for a small percentage of what the genuine thing would ordinarily cost new here in the U.S. Once the counterfeit merchandise reaches this country, it gets bought up by people who don't really care that it's phony, because it looks real. No one is very surprised when their forty-dollar gold Rolex stops running in a couple of months, because during the time that it ran, it served the main purpose of image boosting. Notwithstanding the fact the companies certainly are justified in protecting their copyrights and trademarks. They should also realize that any person who spends forty bucks for a phony Rolex would never spend eight grand for a real one, so they shouldn't whine about losing a customer they never would have had to begin with. Unfortunately, the fraud mentality isn't limited to Chinese manufacturing; it's already creeped into every industry and profession, from phony products to counterfeit medicine, staged auto accidents. And even into our courtrooms. As for my own situation, I live on a sixty-foot, genuine Chinese-built Grand Banks trawler yacht here in Marina del Rey, California, along with little Susie Bronstein, a genuine Chinese-built thirteen-year-old girl, and Bernie, her huge Saint Bernard, with a genuine Swiss movement. Both the girl and dog are part of a package deal foisted upon me when her late stepfather requested in his will that I be appointed as her legal guardian. But I can't complain. Susie's a little doll with genius computer skills that are often put to use fulfilling requests from many of the local cops who eat around the corner on Washington Boulevard, at the Chinese restaurant where her late mother was the manager. Susie still makes her daily lunchtime appearances there, and has become sort of a mascot to all of the uniformed police regulars who eat there often, and when they hold their monthly interagency law enforcement luncheons. The one problem I'll never have to worry about with Susie is her asking me for an allowance, and that's because she's worth millions of dollars, as a result of civil settlements from the death of her mother in an auto accident. And then, two years later, her stepfather in a helicopter crash. But even without that money, she would still be okay, because with her incredible computer skills, she could easily earn six figures a year, and that's already happening because she's already got a job. She runs our little law firm, the one we operate off of this boat. She's the brains. And has a couple of two hundred pound animals to boss around, one for security, and one to make the court appearances. Business has been pretty good, so I don't have any financial problems either, which can be boring. It was a lot different years ago when my ex-wife Myra and I were newlyweds. I was a struggling lawyer, and my wife Myra was a legal secretary. And for our first couple of years married. 
the common bond that held us together was our constant effort to pay the rent, drive dependable cars, eat out in nice restaurants, and have decent wardrobes. That was definitely not a boring time, and stayed that way until my practice started to pick up, and she started law school. The money problems were slowly coming to an end, and being replaced with philosophical conflicts. Like most women, my wife was born with a prosecution chromosome in her genome. But unfortunately, being a good-natured criminal defense attorney, my DNA doesn't include one of those. And that's where the problems began.